Ross Payton here with Roleplaying Public Radio. I'm here with uh, Adrian uh, Palmier of Goodman Games, who is the man behind this year's uh, Dungeon Crawl Classic Tournament, as well as a few others. And uh, we're going to talk about the DCC tournament and uh, what what's uh, what we can expect this year. So uh, first, Adrian, uh, give us a little of your background in the game industry, uh, how you got started, uh, what you've been working on. And uh, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, well, I got started about five years ago when I first moved to New Jersey from Arizona. I got into a gaming group here in Jersey that happened to include, just by pure luck, uh, Chris Doyle, who uh, has been, he's put out a lot of modules for Gibbing Games and used to do a lot of work with uh, the old Star Wars system. So what happened was was that for the very first tournament module, uh, Crypt of the Devil Lich, Joseph and Chris had decided they would do kind of a, a patchwork approach to the authors. They'd get a bunch of different authors to contribute their best rooms, and that would be what composed the module itself. When it came time to look for authors to uh, fill out the module, Chris uh, you know, had me in his game and thought that I was fairly competent and, said, and asked me if I wanted to contribute. And I, well, of course I did. So that's sort of how I got my start. I did uh, three rooms for Crypt of the Devil Lich, and ever since then I've been involved with the, the, the DCC tournament. Great, great. Um, so you, uh, recent, last year you were, or not last year, but uh, you were the project manager for the Palace of the Wastes, uh, which was... That's correct. Yeah. Um, that was your first time actually managing uh, a module, right? Uh, tell us a, a little about overseeing the uh, creation of the uh, uh, the module. You want to know what it's like to oversee the module? Is that yeah, right? or the specifically the palace, but yeah. Okay, uh, Palace in the Wastes uh, got started uh, back in March of that year. I think it was. I think that was 2006, if I'm right. Yeah. Uh, what happened was it was a, a conversation between Joseph and myself, Joseph Goodman, that is. And he, um, he asked me if I wanted to be the big guy, the big kahuna, for that year's tournament module. Like I said, I've been involved with it since it, since it started, uh, usually as a judge. But this, this year he decided that maybe I was ready to uh, take on a bigger slice of responsibility. So it started off with uh, me pitching to him ideas. And, <laughs> and that was, uh, that was a, uh, <clears throat> a heck of a process because he didn't like any, any of the ideas that I originally pitched. He, they were just not the DCC old school feel and, and he's right, they weren't. They weren't they weren't fantastic. Um but then after a while I thought, well, you know, this is an old school game. Why don't I you know, why don't I go back into the kind of stuff I was doing when I was a kid playing D D. <laughs> and so I pitched him an idea that was essentially an adventure that I written back in middle school and he liked it. That right. was um, what eventually became Palace in the Wastes. Uh, it was about the, you know, a crazy axe that a bunch of chaos gods had fought over and had fallen into this wasteland and uh, uh, created a huge rift. You know, when the axe had struck, it created a giant rift, and the axe was filled down there. So that was sort of the backstory and how the palace sort of came to be. Once we had an idea, uh, I recruited a bunch of different authors to contribute. Um, uh, rooms for the module. Uh, I had everything all split up between 
I had I had it in my head what I wanted the different levels to be. I wanted each level to have a theme. If you, as you work through Palace in the Wastes, the upper tier is really kind of law uh, themed, and then as you work down, eventually you get toward chaos at the bottom, where the the actual axe head is embedded into the earth, and it just kind of goes nuts from there. Right, right. Does that uh, answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you find the authors? How did you recruit them? Uh, did you just through friends of friends, or did you look for published authors, or uh, how did you find them? Uh, that originally, uh, for the most part, that came from a list that Joseph gave me of people that he had worked with in the past that he really that he felt were good, reliable, solid authors. In order to write for the tournament, you really you have to know your stuff because it's going to be essentially tested by everyone who actually attends a tournament. If you write something and it's completely bogus, you're going to get called on it. The players are going to let you know. Uh, also, we playtest the heck out of the tournament modules. I mean, they're probably some of the most playtested adventures uh, that, that are out there. So if you mess up, you're going to know about it. So we want good authors. Joseph gave me a list, and uh, I, you know, I went through that. I invited certain people. Some people could make it. Some people you know, had other obligations. Some you know, leaped at the chance. Um, as time went on, I ended up inviting uh, three friends of mine who I knew to be pretty solid, uh, and they ended up joining the, the project team, and each of them did a room or two for Palace in the Wastes. Okay, okay. Um, and do you have any sort of lessons learned from uh, uh, managing the project of that size uh, that you took on when you, for future projects? Oh, yeah. It's, Palace in the Wastes was a huge learning experience. I never tried anything like that before. So, I mean, the whole experience in itself was something that, you know, you walk away with shaking your head going, I can't believe I pulled that off. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But but, uh, specifically, um, I learned that, I guess one of the things I really learned was that the authors are somebody, if you get good authors, you can really trust what their advice is. Like, I had in my head how certain things were going to work. They had other ideas. And it really, the the back and forth and the give and take that we had, really kind of made the authors, I think, I don't want to speak for them, but to me it seemed that they really invested in the project. You know, they, they had a lot of say in the overall result. And then I, I took that same, you know, give and take, getting people to invest in it approach with the judges. When it came time for to recruit judges for the tournament, I wanted them to feel like, you know, that this was something that they were also putting out. It was just doing games. It was the entire team, the entire project. So um, uh, I try to be a consensus builder when I'm uh, working on a project. I think that was something I learned there. Okay. Um, um, I also learned that I tend to talk too much, and I kind of <laughs> ramble a little bit. That's fine. That's fine. This is uh, the Internet. We have uh, no uh, show particular show length. We go as long as it needs to. So, um, of course... <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. we're in trouble then. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no, no problem. Um now, you also mentioned, of course, you started as a judge for the first year. Uh, what What is it like being a judge for one of these? Um, I know you, you sent me this test that uh, prospective judges had to pass in order to run one of the tournament games. It was pretty uh, uh, rules lawyer type material. It was pretty uh, uh, intimidating to someone who is not used to reading the rules fairly closely. So what was it like being a judge? Uh, it's it's a pressure cooker. I mean, it's something that I personally really enjoy. 
because I mean, it is so it's, it's a competitive environment. You know, the guys are there, the teams that you're with, for the most part, they're there to win. They want to, they want to be crowned champions of the dungeon crawl. You know, they also want to have a good time. So you have to, anytime you have to be a game master, you have to wear a lot of different hats. You have to be entertaining. You have to be enforcing the rules. You have to try to get people to, you know, be interested in what's happening. So you have to do all the responsibilities you always have to do. Right. Whenever you're trying to be a good game master. But in addition, you also have to be completely on top of your game as far as the rules go, because you are the guy who makes the call. The, the, The DCC tournament judges have the final say over what goes down. There's no appealing process or anything like that. So it's a little bit of pressure. It's kind of a little intimidating. The first time I did it, I have to admit, I feel bad for the team that had me. I didn't know how swarms work. I knew they were in the module. I thought I reversed them, or we had rehearsed them, but man, the the swarm popped up, and uh, I was like, oh, well, this guy did Axiom, and it didn't quite work that way. The guy who was sitting next to me, was kind enough and said, you do know how swarms work, right? And that's when it all came back. You know, all he had to do was ask that question. I was like, oh, crap, I'm doing it wrong. Okay. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> now, um, anyway, that's what it's like. It's, it's, it's a lot of pressure, but right. it's, I think it's a whole lot of fun. Right, right. Um, just one question on the test. Did the judges, uh, pers- prospective judges, have to pass the test without being able to consult the rule book? Or do they actually get to... Uh, read it, you know, while they're uh, uh, do, taking the test? That's a pretty good question. Um, because I've had guys try to take it without looking at the rule books. No, no, no. They're allowed to, to look up things. I encourage them to look up things. Uh, despite that, the way the, the rules are written and the way that you know, some situations kind of, the way you have to cross-reference things, people still get a fair number of the questions wrong, even with the rules right in front of them, because we write really hard tests. I want people to really have every chance to succeed, but if they don't, then they don't. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, they're allowed to look things up. Um, but, yeah, they're hard. I mean, it's a hard test. I had to take one my first year for Chris, Chris Doyle wrote one for the judges for um, Crypt of the Devilish, and I've carried on that tradition. Wow. Um, good stuff. Uh we, uh, if, if it's okay, do you, would you mind if I posted a few on the uh, RPPR website, or are they still proprietary uh, Goodman Games uh, information? I'll have to get back to you on that, but I'm pretty sure it'll be okay. Okay. Uh, particularly after, particularly after the tournament's over, because right. some of the questions that I post sort of lead into specific situations that are going to happen okay. in the module. By yeah. the time I write the test, I already have a good idea what's going to be there. Okay. Okay. Um, so what's, since now you're you're uh, you're up the rank, up the ladder as it is, uh, what's it like overseeing a tournament? Uh, you know, you have to deal with multiple judges and all the players and everything. So, uh, what's that like? Um, I use a phrase on uh, on a Goodman Games thread where I, I describe something as hurting cats. It's a pretty common phrase. It's like hurting cats. All the judges want to have... Um, first, first, I should talk about the judges just for a second. Uh, they're a great team. I've been you know, picking guys that were really good, and the people that I call back every year you know, are the best. So... You know, they kind of know me. Every time we get together at Gen Con, we always go and hang out the night before, kind of a, you know, just all getting to see and hang out with each other again. They're a bunch of cool people. Uh, so that, it kind of goes easily because we all sort of know each other now. Right, right. Uh, in the beginning, that was not the case, you know, so that was different. 
But now it's that that aspect of it is getting easier. The judges know what to expect from me. You know, they know that I'm gonna get material to them in time and that kind of thing. Um, but you also have to coordinate with, say, Gen Con, and that's you know, they assign you into rooms, and that's the room you're gonna be in. You know, last year where there was the snafu with tickets being printed wrong, so that was really kind of a headache. We actually lost at least one team who just couldn't couldn't find us because their tickets were printed wrong, and that's that's that kills me because I hate for that to happen. Right, right. But uh, that's the kind of. But I mean, that's that's an occupational hazard. <laughs> um, and the what? It must be incredibly. Uh, you know, you're talking about being a pressure cooker, just being a judge. What's it like? You know, when you're actually on the floor and the tur- the tournament's going on, uh, having to coordinate all of that. Uh, again, I love that. I think that's fantastic. The teams come in, and you know, you see a lot of the same people year after year. You know, people who are big fans of the tournament, they come in, and I get a chance. Hey, how you guys doing? Oh, good. Oh, you're pregnant now. Wow. Congratulations. That kind of thing. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> yeah, but so that's kind of nice. You know, I get to see a lot of familiar faces. I send them off to their tables. They, you know, I try to keep in my head a tally of what judges had what uh, group before. And the judges usually give, have a good idea of, you know, what groups they've had that were really memorable. So I try to make sure that no one, you know, we don't get into a pattern. I don't want this, these guys to have the same judge over and over again. Right, so, right. you know, you got to keep that in your head. You have to keep in your head, you know, this team is running late because, uh, you know, they just showed up late to the tournament, but within our uh, allowed, you know, grace period. So I can't send this table out yet. And I, and there's just a lot of stuff you have to, you want to remind them. You know, there's a lot of communication that has to go down in that short sliver of time you have before they actually begin the round. All I'm right. talking, I mean, like, uh, you know, when, if they haven't read the player's pack, then we might need to make sure everyone's got a player's pack. So there's, it's a lot of juggling. There's a whole lot of, uh, of just everything you're trying to juggle, keep all these balls in the air. Uh, so that's the hard part of it. But the, the fun part is, you know, it's kind of fun to be able to juggle all that stuff. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so, of course, you know, obviously designing a module that can withstand all these teams coming at it. Uh, I know we touched a little bit about it with Palace of the Wastes. What is the real design philosophy behind the uh, DCC? Uh, you know, you mentioned the old school um, style, that that's what you want to get. But what, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to the DCC? Wow, that's a great that's a great question. Um, what does the old school mean to me? Gosh, uh, it, it really old school is kind of like orcs with a spear in a hallway. I guess <laughs> to me, I always think of the, the I always think of the old covers or the old modules that yeah. I wasn't allowed to play because my parents wouldn't let me play them, but like my cool uncle had them, right? <laughs> so I always right. think about those. Um, to me, it's about um, sort of just. In almost in um, not incomprehensible. What's the word, Adrian? Unsurmountable, almost ins- insurmountable odds, and just an entirely hostile environment that you have to get into, accomplish your goal, and ideally, you know, get back out of. I mean, that, a lot of the old school places, a lot of the old school modules. I mean, those those were not nice places to be. Right, right. There weren't there weren't you know. Just, always square rooms with ample lighting and that kind of thing. And it's, there were dynamic environments and you could really kind of do anything. That was, I guess that's another part of it. You don't, you weren't locked into because the way the rules were written, you weren't locked. You could do anything you could think of to do because the rules were kind of weird back in the day. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, 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 no they're very, the rules, um, 
sort of open-ended. You could just say, okay, the GM could easily come up with his own, you know, ad hoc uh, rule. Okay, make a check against your strength or your bin bars, open gates check, and then you can do this or uh, make it, you know. Exactly. Talk, Everything. Yeah. yeah. So. It was as much part of the game as, as coming up with the rules as it was to just, you know, to actually follow the ones that were written down. Anyway, so that's kind of what I, what, I, what I think I shoot for. But you asked about design philosophy behind the tournament. Each tournament's got its own uh, sort of theme. It's got its own push of what we're trying to accomplish with it. Like Palace and the Waits was about the, the battle between law and chaos and that sort of thing, you know, in a, more, in a grand, more cocky and sort of sense. Uh, last year's tournament, uh, Chronicle of the Fiend, was Harley was the project manager for that one. And that was the thing we were trying to go with that one was, um, you know, from humble beginnings, you have great heroes arise. That's a, a theme that I believe, that I, I know is near and dear to Harley's heart. <laughs> right. Um, I actually designed one of the uh, rooms for Chronicles of the Fiend the, uh, for the first section. Get out. No, no, I did. It was the, um, the black mold trap in the first section. The uh, the the sets of armor that if you touch them would trigger off the cloud, the uh, the the gas, or that basically the black mold that would. Uh... Do you remember that part? Was it? My God, film? yes, yeah, that was the most lethal of the three entrances. Really, really? Uh, no, no, I'm mistake. That wasn't the most lethal. It was a tie. The the two of the entrances were far more lethal than the other one until we until we went back and kind of messed with them a little bit. But right. Um, but no, yeah, I absolutely remember that. That was pretty cool. Uh, we ended up calling it choke dust or something, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I had a few other ideas that I entered in there, but I, I was sort of shooting in the dark. I sort of created backstories for some of these rooms that I don't think was uh, compatible with the overall story. But uh, still, it was a blast writing it and uh, revising it. So uh, that was really fun. Um, and it was sort of uh, it's, a, it's a it's a lot of fun to write for the tournament. Yeah, uh, one of the things that one of the things that the project manager unfortunately has to do sometimes. Like I remember last year, there were some great ideas for rooms that individually were fantastic. When you strung them all together, there were like too much of the same thing, or there were uh, just the tournament was too long. Something we've really uh, been striving for since Palace in the Waste was cutting the room count down. So that you can actually, so in a four-hour time block, a competent team could actually see everything that was in that round. So, unfortunately, when we overwrite for rooms, we have to cut them back sometimes. I see. I see. Um, speaking of writing the rooms, how this year's uh, game will be in fourth edition. So, uh, I or at least I assume. Yes, you're not, it yeah, will, yeah, sir. Yeah. Um, how was that? How how did you write that? I assume you must have started writing that before fourth edition even came out. So, uh, how was that? Uh, that must have been an interesting challenge. I mean, certainly no one's familiar with the rules yet, so, uh, or had, you know, a lot of time to familiarize themselves. Uh, so, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Um, wow, the story of this year's uh, tournament module is, is quite a story in and of itself. I'm not sure how much I can exactly say about it, going, you know, and how much your listeners would be really interested in the, the minutia. Oh, but in broad yeah. strokes, yeah. Uh, in broad strokes, uh, what we did was we wrote the tournament in three five. You know, we knew that way we were able to get down the the themes and kind of room structure. We were able to get down, you know, sort of what the maps would look like. So we sort of did a mock up of the fourth edition tournament in three five. Um, and then we had to throw it all away. 
<laughs> then we had to completely start over from scratch uh, because of some very intelligent decisions that got that I wish we would have made earlier uh, pertaining to level of the module. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then we basically, when the rules were released, I went to the back of the writing team and I explained the situation to him. The writing team, by the way, is Chris Doyle again. It's Rick Maffei, who wrote the fantastic, among other things, Scaly God, one of my favorite modules, and Mike Ferguson, who worked on the um, Gazetteer of the Known Realms and a bunch of other stuff that I'm a big fan of. So these are the, these are the writers. So I go back to these three guys who all happen to live here in Jersey with me, and I said, uh, here's the deal. Yeah, I don't know. We call ourselves Goodman Games East between all of us and some of the editors that are out here. We're Goodman Games East. Right, right. But I, I go to these guys and I'm like, here, here's the deal, guys. We need to start from scratch and we need it now. Uh, and I gave, you know, what I hope, what I hope was a stirring address uh, <laughs> because uh, emotions are running pretty high at this time for uh, all of us because of the release of fourth edition and several other things. And uh, the writers, they they signed on. They said they. Oh, I was so pleased. I was. Uh, even touched. I don't want to be sappy, but I was kind of touched a little bit. Uh, and they basically wrote the module in about two weeks, which wow. is no easy. It, it was amazing. They wrote that thing in about two weeks. And, I mean, it's, it's a good module. There's, there are a couple rooms in there I'm, that I can't wait for people to go into, you know, have fun with, and then maybe TPK in. It'll be thrilling. Right, right. Um, how was the playtesting? Did you? I assume as soon as you got it written, you were just uh, playtesting it. Uh, must have had quite a few late nights with that. Or how did that go? Playtesting in the last round is still going on uh, oh, because wow. you know we we deal with them in order. We deal with them in order of uh, you know how many people are going to be exposed. Round one, we have forty round one tables this year. That's far more than we've ever had before. We're really taking a big bite of the apple this year. Mm-hmm. So that was the first one. When, when that room, Chris did a great job of getting that to me early. So uh, he, I mean, he knocked his out and you know knocked it out of the park as far as the writing goes. I took uh, about a day to go over it and uh, just straighten up a couple things, kind of put things into a format that I like to use for the tournament. You have to really be careful with the format and how information is presented to the judges because you want them to be able to find anything at a moment's notice. That's a really big part of what the, the project manager does. Uh, anyway, so I took about a day. I got it out to the playtesters, and I already had the judges picked out by this time, and I already had playtest groups set up. You know, because while they were writing, that's what I was doing, was getting everything ready for them so we can hit the ground running. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wow. So anyway, uh, so that, that went out, and uh, middle playtesting went on for round one until about two weeks ago, maybe, yeah, about two weeks ago. And uh, as soon as I get done uh, with this interview, I'm going to send the final Gen Con version out to the judging team. So it's ready to go. Wow. Um, It's interesting. Uh, Of course, you know, you said you had to scrap the whole 3.5 thing because, uh, I assume because of the differences between 3.5 and 4th edition. Uh, what kind of other? Dude? No, that that wasn't that really wasn't it though. It was, really? Okay. What it was wasn't it? so much because of the differences between us. That was that was that was what made it that was what made it kind of heart wrenching almost. We originally had written. If you look at the Gen Con event book, you'll see that the tournament is listed as being something called Test of the Gods. Test of the Gods is what we wrote, and that's what I had every intention of running. But it was pretty high level, and at one point 
um, later on, Joseph made the excellent point that, you know, no one's going to have a whole lot of experience with high-level uh, gaming in 4E by the time Gen Con rolls around. We want to have something that's, you know, people know. We don't want people showing up to the tournament and not understanding how to play their characters. We don't want judges being even remotely iffy on the rules for high-level play. So we had, to, we had to take what we had and we sort of shelter. We actually have plans for Test of the Gods that I can't go into right now. But we had to just set it aside and then write the whole new thing. All right. Um, so what differences have you found between 3.5 and 4th edition? Since you've been, you know, putting the rules sort of to the grinder, you've been really uh, going through them with a fine-tooth comb. You, uh, what have you found? Any major fundamental... In your opinion, you know, what are the, the major differences in style and theme and uh, in mechanics, obviously? Well, I don't know how much new, new ground I can shred with this. A lot of people who are more eloquent than I have discussed at length the differences between well, 4E uh, and previous editions. But, just, but what, what I think is, is interesting is that a lot of the utility toolkit kind of stuff that you would find at lower levels isn't there really levels one two and three you don't really have that stuff i mean some things are subsumed into others like message for example has been made part of ghost sound and things like that you know so some of it's still there it's just kind of masquerading as something else but a lot of the the weird utility tricks that usually made the tournaments kind of hard to write aren't there anymore you can't take 20 anymore taking 20 was such a pain in the butt if i can say that on the radio <laughs> no that's um, probably uh, yeah, taking 20 was such a pain because if you take 20, you're going to find it. In Starting in Palace and then through Chronicle, we decided that taking 20 was verboten uh, because of this reason or that reason, but ultimately because it wasn't heroic. You know, the, the game isn't about D&D. isn't about, you know, being all super-duper cautious and doing this. You're a freaking hero, man. Get out there and do something. Don't take your time and spend take 20 on every five foot square because you think there might be a trap there that's that's not fun at least in my ethos so right right anyway anyway um <laughs> man i'm totally rambling there sorry oh uh, no 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 that's that's what we're interested in um <laughs> the uh the philosophy yeah there there, there does seem to be a, a more emphasis on the immediate action than uh, in previous editions of course on the other hand, you know, if you're being the hero, you're getting reckless, and then you're going to walk into that gaping mouth that conceals a sphere of annihilation much more easily if you're not, you know, quite as paranoid. So there seems to be, you know, a balancing act between that those two extremes. Can I interject something real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just, okay, just, just real quick, an anecdote. Just the day that, that 4E came out, uh, the members of uh, several members of Goodman Games East played the Tomb of Ours. You know, the mm -hmm. first edition module. Uh, we had, and somebody fell for that trap. The, the, the Spear of Annihilation, he hadn't heard it, but he hadn't heard of it before. And just, <laughs> it got him. It was so funny. <laughs> now, were you running actual first edition? Pretty hysterical stuff. Uh, yeah, no, we were playing first edition characters. The whole, the whole <laughs> deal. It was sort of a, it was, I don't know, it was just kind of our way of saying hello, I guess. Right, right, right. Um, anyway, but no, what you said earlier, what you said earlier is absolutely correct. I, honestly, I think that. Fourth edition really lends itself to tournament style play better than the previous uh, version of the rules did, just because it is so focused on 
you know, everything really is about the battle map. Everything's really, I mean, 3.5 was that way too, but this really takes it to the next level. Everything's measured in squares. Everything really is about let's have a fight. Hey, everybody, let's get into a fight. And the tournament, what it is, is it's not, or rather what the tournament is not, it's focused on role playing. So a game like 4E lends itself very well to the tournament because it is so action and combat oriented, and so is the tournament. I see. Um, how do you think writing? How do you think the uh, the scenarios for 4E are going to be different than uh, from 3E or previous editions? Uh, do you do you think we're going to be seeing any new themes or uh, elements or uh, types of adventures that we're not we haven't seen previously, or anything like that? Are you asking about Goodman Games in particular or the industry as a whole? Both. Both Goodman Games and the uh, industry. If you've, yeah, whatever whatever you think. Okay. Uh, well, um, I think Goodman's official stance, and, and don't quote me on this, I'm certainly not a rep. I don't even really work for Goodman Games. I'm a freelancer, technically. But I believe that Joseph has stated before that the tone of the Goodman Games DCC modules won't change. Um they're, uh, I mean, they are exact, going to be essentially in a, new, in a new rule set, in new clothing, but they're the same good old modules that you enjoyed previously. That's going to be them. I know that Harley Stroh has started a new line of dungeon or a new line of modules called, I believe, the Master's Dungeons, and those are going to kind of change in tone a little bit to be more epic and a little bit more roleplay intensive, I believe. Harley can tell you more about that. Right, and right. I believe he's got some info on it at the Goodman Games site. As far as the industry uh, whole, uh, I, I couldn't tell you. Your guess is as good as mine what's going to happen. There are These are interesting times to live in as far as the RP industry goes. Yeah, that's true. Um, have you heard of the recent uh, Kinzer Company releasing the Kingdom of Calamar without the, the GSL? Uh, no, I wasn't aware of that, but honestly I haven't had a lot of time to keep up on industry news. This tournament and other modules that I've been working on have really tied me up. I see. Well, what else are you working on? Uh, anything you'd care to reveal yet to the public or uh, uh, want to talk a little more about? Um, well, uh, Joseph has already uh, revealed that uh, we'll be having modules for sale at um, Gen Con. I was the author of one of those. Uh, that's Isle of the Sea Drake. It'll be at Gen Con. Feel free to stop by our booth, pick it up, look at it. <laughs> right. Um, and there are other projects in the pipe that uh, I know several of us are, are busy trying to work at. Mm-hmm. Um, what but is honestly, every every project I've done since Castle White Rock has seemed to be just cake because <laughs> that was the big daddy of them all. Yeah, that was the uh, what was it, eight hundred pages, or um, that was the that was a fairly monstrous scenario. I remember box set really. Uh, what was your role in that? Yeah, seven seven hundred sixty one pages. I was a co author on that. Again, okay. Chris Doyle and I were the two guys that tackled the dungeon portion of that. The design team was much bigger. I mean, it included Jeff Lasalle and Harley Stroh, who were two thirds of the Gazetteer team. You know, it had a couple different editors: one guy on prose, one guy on stats. Uh, Jeremy Simmons been nominated for Innies for photography forever, and <laughs> including this year, Forecastle White Rock worked on it. And then Chris and I handled the dungeon itself. All I believe. A 761 pages, uh, 15 levels, 14 sub-levels, 
Yeah, we we the the two of us cut that thing up just about in half, and uh, went at it. <laughs> was that sort of like you you take your section, he take his section, you both work on it, and then compare notes later, or were you was there a lot of collaboration? Were you in the same room, or uh, what was that like? Uh, <laughs> uh, if you go to the Goodman Games uh, board, there's a yeah. section there on adventure design. There's a thread called the writing of White Rock, oh, okay. where I talk about this in some length. I talk about this in some length there. But the, the truth is, it was some serious collaboration going on with uh, White Rock. I mean, we would get together in person over mm-hmm. pie, which I'm a huge fan of, by the way. If you ever want to bribe me, you want to do well in the tournament, bring me pie. <laughs> All right. I'll, uh, I'll make um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, anyway, we, uh, we would get together in person to talk about things. Basically, Chris came to me. He had already started work on White Rock back when it was originally going to be something like like one third of its size. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, I want you to work with, this, with with me on this. Here's my plans. What do you think? And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. I would make this change. I would make this change. And then he said, what levels do you want to write? And I was like, wow, uh, I'll take half of them. <laughs> and he gave me half of them. We, you know, there was some give and take there. Uh, we wrote the whole thing using a lot of email, a lot of discussions over Pi, and a ton of some extremely elaborate spreadsheets. Mm. Uh, we would uh, we had this one master log. And we, we could tell you where every copper piece was in that thing. If, if there was a treasure, it was entered into the sheet and emailed to the partner who would update his sheet, and then he would add a monster, and I would I could be able to tell you, I think I still have the darn thing, I could tell you exactly how many monsters there are, what they are, <laughs> and that kind of thing. That way we don't have endless levels of orcs or endless levels of, I don't know, whatever. Right, right. Uh, so, a ton of communication. And I, was, I think it paid off. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's good stuff, if, if I say so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always been curious about what kind of response the Mega Modules have gotten. Uh, what kind of response did you get with Castle White Rock? Uh, White Rock was, unfortunately, I think is the right word, unfortunately released at the same Gen Con where 4E was announced. Yeah. <laughs> So that was a bit of a buzzkill, but at the same time, people who weren't really eager to make the jump into 4E picked up White Rock. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot now uh, about people who are doing that very thing, people who aren't sure they want to make the jump, people who say, oh, I'll never make the jump. White Rock's the thing to get because you will be entertained for a long time. Part of the other thing about CWF, you know, Castle White Rock, is that it's so big, feedback took a while to get back to us because people have to digest this thing. Um, yeah. But the feedback, it's been pretty overwhelmingly positive. We have two five-star reviews, um, a couple peer reviews. Uh, there's one on like Amazon for some reason that they just loved it. Um, so the response has been overwhelmingly positive. The most negative thing I think I've ever heard said about it was that there was a problem with binding on a few different of the uh, <laughs> of a few of the modules, but right, that, right. that's about it. No one really. Everyone talks about how structured this thing is. Oh my God! If you want to know where the keys are, like there's an index that tells you where every key is, what it unlocks, who's got it. I mean, that's the degree of organization that goes useful, into this. Thing. Yeah. It's a monster. Yeah. Let me spell it out for you. Wow. Um... Speaking of feedback, um, since you've been so involved with the uh, DCC tournament, uh, what kind of uh, feedback have uh, you gotten from the community uh, since you started it? 
Um, in return, you mean in regards to the tournament? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the tournament overall, I mean, what, what kind of response has it gotten from the community? I mean, obviously, it, you know, it's always all the tables are sold out, but that's only a few hundred people at most. I mean, what, what have you heard back from the community at large? Do people um, really, I mean, is it just the, great, the hottest event at Gen Con or, uh, 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 you know? <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's in general pretty well received. What we really want to do is we want to have a module and an adventure and an experience that's so fun you don't mind that you're being TPK. That's that's really <laughs> that's that's our goal. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be hard. It's it's supposed to be brutal, but at the same time you're supposed to be sitting around having fun with people rolling dice. And I think that's what we shoot. Well, I know that's what we shoot for, and I think more times than not that's exactly what we accomplish. I mean, I've had parties. That I that I've just uh, slaughtered, and they had a blast, you know. <laughs> so that's really good. And I have had a lot of people. I sit at my little booth, <laughs> telling people where to go because there's no one around to tell them where their events are. And people come up to me, and you know, after the thing is, hey, I ask me how to go. You know, do you guys have a good time? And it's always, you know, oh my god, we were slaughtered, but that was a great time. <laughs> that's almost word for word what I hear more often than anything else. Sometimes people will be who are really hyper competitive. They'll come out and they'll say, you know, I don't know how well we did. I'm a little worried about it. And you know, we always ask them. You know, I, I try to you know process through process with them through what happened. Of course, I can't give any official results out early. But I think overall, people that, that that sign up and play in this thing have a good time because, I mean, it's. D and D, just like you would play at home, but extra. <laughs> Plus, there are prizes and uh, winners and uh, everything like that. Um, and of course, I think uh, there are two other RPGs that uh, people have a good time when they're all killed. I think Paranoia and Call of Cthulhu, but you know they're slightly different than D and D. Oh man! Yeah. man. <laughs> uh, but no, I think I think we're tapping that same vein there. It's, Call of Cthulhu is a hoot, but man, I, I don't know anybody that really plays that in campaign mode i've tried yeah. and but that's not that's not what you do with it you have fun while you're doing it that's, yeah and i think the tournament's the same way that's a great analogy i never thought of that before yeah um i actually did run a tournament or a, a six-month campaign of call of cthulhu once but we still had like a dozen dead player characters by the end of it and everyone still had a blast and uh yeah i think there's people just right. have yeah um, and last year at Gen Con, I actually played a Call of Cthulhu adventure where my character fell off a Zeppelin while he's being chased by an invisible monster. So, uh, <laughs> and that was, a, that was a good time. It was a, a fun time. Um, so, uh, um, of course, since you've seen so many, you know, highs and lows of all the, all the tournament going on, surely you have some, uh, uh good stories to tell of the, uh, particular parties, uh, horror stories or best of stories or creative solutions. Uh, do you have any you'd like to share with us uh, about the tournament or, you know, what clever players have done or, you know, the best and the worst, I guess? Gosh, um, uh, Chronicle of the Fiend is what's most fresh in my mind, so I'll go to that um, to start with. Uh, if, you, if you buy Chronicle of the Fiend, and I recommend you do, it's a great module. <laughs> um, I hear this, uh, I hear this, anyway... If you, if you buy that, there are a couple of sidebars that I threw in. Uh, Joseph thought it would be a great idea to throw them in. And, they, and I tell stories just like what you're asking. Uh, there was one team in round one that showed up. And this one guy, he had everything figured out. He had himself spreadsheets that he had printed out. And he knew exactly what he was going to be doing from round to round to round. My standard operating procedures to do this. He, he was going to 
take this thing by storm. And he got killed in room one, walked right into a trap, and boiling or molten uh, wax fell on him, and he was done. I mean, that's, that's how it goes. Sometimes Ouch. that's what happens. Ouch. Yeah, that's kind of funny a little bit. Um, anyway, another team, uh, Clan Yeoman, who I think ended up, and I believe second place last year. They've won in the past. I had them in round three. And uh, now there was just this fantastic moment that was super duper tense. I mean, at the time, I'm smiling about it now, but at the time it was tense. It was serious. Because this was round three, and, and it's ready, it's go time. Uh, one of the guys, one of the characters had been swallowed by this fiendish purple worm, and he was wearing, I think she actually, but she was wearing the necklace of fireballs that we had given them. And I knew that the purple worm was almost dead. And the rest of the party, you know, was terrified of this thing. But the one character who had been swallowed was about ready to set it off. But they didn't have any kind of oil or resurrection or anything. And I, I can't say anything. I can't encourage them to do anything. It's not my role. I'm, I'm the judge. I respond to what the players do. And uh, But I'm, I'm saying to myself, do it. Do it. Please do it. Please detonate that fireball. It's going to be hysterical. And, and while they're debating this, I'm taking Oppenheimer's quote about the Radiance of a Thousand Suns. You know, I've become death to destroy our worlds. I'm like reworking that in my head as the line I'm going to deliver when she detonates this thing and kills the, the purple worm. And then they just killed it anyway. It was it was funny. It's, they they got a lucky hit on the thing. The darn thing died, and that was the end of it. And I was like, no, I was so rooting for that to happen. Uh, there was they, uh, just one more. Yeah. There was just one more. There was a there was a, a team in a, in Palace of the Wastes uh, who had never played three five at all. They they played first edition, and uh, they got a good friend of mine, Justin Sipla, as their judge. And Justin's Justin's a hard DM. And, I mean, he's fair, but he's he doesn't pull punches. Um, so these guys, who had never played 3-5, got one of my hardest GMs, or one of my hardest judges, and they, everybody had a blast. You know, they ended up, they spent, I think they explored a total of three rooms, but they had all these intricate plans about how they were going to get a ring off of a, basically a construct that turned into a block. <laughs> and they just had a hoop trying to outsmart the, the construct and, you know, and if you read the guy, the guy posted uh, a comments on it on the Goodman Games board. The guy, uh, his name on the board was Whizbang Dusty Boots. Um, if you look it up, he's got a great story about what happened. But he says they had the plan worked out. They're on, like, their fifth iteration of the plan. They had it all worked out. Everything was ready to go. They were going to get it this time, and time was called. He hadn't even realized that four hours had gone by because they were having so much fun with this. <laughs> so that's, wow. that's really cool. I, that was a great story to read. Um, did the, uh, player who was stuck inside the purple world, uh, did, uh, she survive or was she, uh, eaten? She ended, I, I believe, I believe she, oh yeah, she did. She ended up living. The only time anyone died in round three, uh, was a trap that I had added at the very end. There were three doorways and the demon Lord. Uh, okay. Spoilers. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to play it. Don't listen to this part. There are three glowing, shimmering portals. The one seems to lead to a... One kind of gives the impression it goes to a smithy. One gives the impression it goes to a glade. And the other one gives the impression, I don't know, it goes somewhere else. And somewhere mystical and blue, I think. And uh, you walk in the room, and the, the guy, your arch enemy, who you've been kind of fighting since the beginning of your career, 
comes over the loudspeakers essentially and says, you know, one of these doors will lead to me and the other ones lead to certain doom, so choose your fate. Ha ha ha, I'm evil. <laughs> the thing is, this guy's a demon lord. So he's lying to you. None of those doors go anywhere. All three of them are implosion traps. <laughs> you walk in, you walk in and you die. So the only time anyone ever actually died was they tried a door and got imploded and it was hysterical. So how were uh, you... the actual answer was yeah. Yeah, the, what you do, there was a secret door in the ceiling that uh, he conveniently you know, didn't mention. If you looked, if you... The thing was, it's so far away, you couldn't search it, so you had to use the potions of spider climb that if you were thorough, you found earlier in the round. So we're all <laughs> about stuff like that. There's always little Easter eggs and just little tricks, you know. Things usually aren't placed haphazardly. Right. Uh, some things will be red herrings. Some, you know, we certainly play with red herrings quite a bit, but things are not haphazard in the tournament. You know, we would give you... Uh, this is a discussion I had with one of the authors not too long ago. We will gladly TPK you, but we give you all the tools you need that aren't luck to win the tournament. Right. It'll right. be hard, but you're going to need luck, and you're going to need a heck of a lot of you know excellent tactics. But we give you everything you need. So anyway, they uh, uh, the team that eventually won found the secret door and got to confront Gazamon at the end of the <laughs> tournament. It, it was pretty exciting. They actually the, the judge Eric. Sorry. Uh, no, well, not in tournament time. Uh, Erica King was running that table, and when tournament time was called, she, you know, she kept the score and everything, and made notes of their official tournament results. But it was kind of late, and you know, it was the last round, so she said, "You guys want to finish it?" So they just played through the rest of the module. You know, not you know, they were just kind of playing to see what happened because they wanted to know what happens next. Right, that's right. pretty cool. Great, great. Um... So, uh, speaking of tactics, uh, do you have any uh, tips for uh, would-be players of this year's tournament? Anything you'd like to reveal? Uh, or, uh, not reveal, but uh, just general advice for any of them? Uh, don't go in any uh, uh, magical uh, doors? <laughs> yeah, don't don't go in the Statue of the Spheres. Um, wow. Um, just be careful when you choose your pre-generated characters. I guess that's something we haven't really talked about, but... I said that we that there's nothing really random about what we do, and that goes all the way down to the pre-generated characters. The pre-gens are selected, starting with Palace. Well, no, starting in the beginning, in, in the first year we did it, there were six pre-gens and six people. Uh, Jason Little had the brilliant idea of creating six pre-gens as a pool from which the team of four would select their four characters, and we kept that every year because that was just a brilliant idea. Uh, but starting with Palace, we paid a lot of attention to the pre-gens. We figured out how each one would work in like each room of the each room of the dungeon. I mean, we, we paid this much attention to it. So when you uh, to teams this year and every year, pay careful attention to the pregens. Uh, you know, you might find a clue in there. You might find that one is more useful than you might think. I guess that's really all I can say. I don't want to give anything away. Sure, sure. Um, but all of them are equal in the sense they have an equal chance of making it through if they're. You know, good players. I mean, there's no gimped character. Well, depending on who you talk to, there's (laughs) either no gimped character or every one of them is gimped. We try to make it so that one of my personal driving goals is to make it so that every team is not the same. Uh, Valid Bolt of the Dragon Kings, you know, there was pretty much an optimum build that you could take for Bolt of the Dragon Kings among the pregents. There were six and you could pick four. If you pick these particular four, you had a really, really, really good chance of going very far. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to make, um, with with Palace, when I kind of took over, I wanted to make it so that 
there really wasn't an optimum build, or there was one and it wasn't evident. Or I just I wanted that I wanted actually I wanted the tournament to start the minute you downloaded the player's pack and you had to pick your characters. The tournament starts then. Interesting, interesting. So uh, uh, the the pressure's on for everyone then, uh, not just the uh, the yeah, judges. The, the players pack. Yeah, the players pack will go to Joseph. I believe this weekend is when I'll finally get it finished. I just want to. I have to change a few like two things, and then I'll go to Joseph, and it should be up. Great. Uh, in advance, yeah, it should be up next week, I believe. Cool. If everything goes as I anticipate it will. Cool. So you'll be able to download it and see what we're doing. I just awesome. got to say, when you download the players' pack, I mean, if I can just little anyone who's listening, thinking about being in the tournament, please download the players' pack. Pack. Also download <laughs> pack. the pack. It's gonna be yeah. a pack. Um, Get the. <laughs> read, the read what we say. Study your pregens, and please, when you go to your event, show up a little bit early. Go to the little booth where the kind of fat guy with the goatee is going to be sitting there with the Goodman Games shirt on. That'll be me. Talk to me beforehand, and I'll make sure you get to your table. If you try to find it on yourself, who knows what could happen. All kinds of chaos could break loose between now and then. Find <laughs> tournament staff. We'll get you to your table. All right. All right. Uh, sounds good. Um, any last words you'd like to uh, say before the end? Um, for the teams that are going to be in the tournament, good luck. You're going to need it. This is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a tough one. Um uh, also, if you're going to be voting for the Ennies, feel free to vote for Castle White Rock. I think it deserves your vote. <laughs> all right, all right. If you're free to it, you could think so too. All right. Um, see, uh, thanks for having me on, Ross. Cool. It was a lot of fun to be here. Yeah, uh, we'll be at Gen Con too, uh, so I'll swing by the booth at some point. So, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, having come on by Union Station. Yeah. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, anyways, it's been Ross Payton for Role Playing Public Radio, and we'll see you at uh, Gen Con. And there we ah. go.